Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the, to the book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 12 for our time together this morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words will be here on the screen in just a moment right here in front of you. But it's hard for me to believe in many ways that 2019 is over and 2020 is here. For better or for worse, we are in the new year. And I know for many of us, it's been a busy season, a busy time as we've had various celebrations. Maybe we saw family or had family in and various things. And, but one of the things I love about this time of year is that it gives us an incredible opportunity to pause, to be still, to reflect, and to examine. To examine how we are and to examine where we are and what's going on in our life and specifically what God is doing in our life. This time of year, of course, is the time where many people are examining things and making resolutions, but today I want to ask you to examine where you're at spiritually in your relationship with the Lord. Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And if so, is it one where you're growing and where you're moving forward? Is it a place where you're growing in your walk with him, or is it something where, frankly, it's gotten cold over time? I was reminded this morning after the early service a while ago, we were talking with someone and someone was talking about how it's so easy in our life to allow a lot of clutter in. And of course that's true in the context maybe of our physical spaces or our car that needs to be cleaned out after the family travels or whatever the case. But the fact of the matter is even in our lives, it can be very easy for us over time to get cluttered with all sorts of things that we're busy about and doing that may not really matter for eternity. This time of year is an incredible opportunity to examine where we're at when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Are we growing in our relationship with him? Are we growing in our knowledge and understanding of God's word? Are we growing in our service to the Lord and to others? Are we growing in generosity to the Lord's work? Are we growing or are we growing distant and cold as the time goes on? Maybe a better way to ask that question this morning and one that we'll see uh, well in our text today is this simple question that I would ask you to pause for a moment and consider, and that is this. In your life, are you running well? Are you running well? Now, when I give that phrase about running, maybe you're sitting here today and already thinking to roll your eyes or be disappointed because you're thinking, you know what, man, the last thing I wanna hear this morning is a message about physical activity and running, right? Well, I have good news for you this morning. The good news is, is that I ate way too many sweets over the Christmas break to preach to you a sermon about actually physically running, okay? The other good news is that I hate to run, and so I would be a hypocrite to preach to you about physically running this morning. That is not my cup of tea. And for those of you who would say, but pastor, running physically is the best thing in the world, I just want you to know this morning, you've got issues, okay? That's that, <laughs> that is not true. 
Proverbs 20, if somebody ever says to you and tries to convince you, you need to be a runner, you gotta start running, just remind them that Proverbs 28 verse one says, the wicked run when no one is pursuing, okay? So just, <laughs> just let that bless them. That'll be a great encouragement. Of course, that's not what the scripture's talking about, but I'm not talking about physically how you're running. Frankly, I've never been a runner. It's just not been my cup of tea. I don't enjoy running. It's like running's what I do when I have to because I'm running for my life or because I'm competing in a sport, but I don't enjoy it. When I talk about this type of run, I'm talking about spiritually. Spiritually, the Bible gives several illustrations to depict for us what the Christian life is, what it looks like, and, and, and how we live that out in our life. And one of the pictures that we get in the New Testament is that God describes the Christian life as a race, a race that is being run. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says it plainly. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but only one receives the prize. So he gives a word of instruction. Run in such a way that you may win, he says. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, Paul says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul literally describes the Christian life and the mission to which God called him to as a race in which he was running and he wanted to run it well. He wanted to run it with aim. He wanted to run it with intentionality so that he might accomplish the mission and the race that God had set before him. Now, please hear me loud and clear. You are not a part of the Christian race simply by wheeling yourself into that race. What God is saying is, he's not saying, you know, you need to run really hard in your life, do your best, and in the end, you might get into heaven. That's not what he's talking about here. The Bible says it doesn't matter how many good works you bring to the table, it doesn't matter how long you try to run, so to speak, in life, there's nothing you or I could do to deserve God's grace and to earn heaven. It doesn't matter how generous you are in your life, how much you serve others, you and I can never earn heaven because we are all sinners, we've all fallen short of God's glory, and we all need God's grace in order to be saved. But the Bible says when you believe in Jesus Christ, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again according to the scriptures. When we believe in Jesus as Lord, we are forgiven of our sins. We are set free from our sins. And God literally takes us from the path of sin that we were on and the path of death and destruction that we're on. And literally God forgives us and cleanses us and he puts us on his path. He puts us on his course to where now in Christ, we begin to run the race that God has set before us. And in that context, Paul begins to describe to us what it means to run well and to run with aim. Today in Hebrews chapter 12, three verses of scriptures, I believe that God wants us to see about running well. If you're physically able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Three simple verses, listen to what the Bible says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Verse two, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Running well. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning and for the time that we have to gather here today. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we have to open your word and to study it. God, I pray right now that you would speak through the Holy Spirit to each of our hearts and lives. God, you know what every single person here today needs. You know what I need. God, I pray today that you would move in such a way that you would draw us to yourself, that we would leave here transformed and changed, strengthened and growing, moving forward in the race. God, may it all be for your glory and honor and praise. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning running well. Well, there are many of us here this morning who have put our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if you have, I praise the Lord for that. You are in the Christian race. There are many of you maybe who are considering what this means and what this looks like. And you're considering the claims of Christ. And is that true? And I would encourage you this morning, if you've never put your faith in Christ, today's the do so. Today's the day to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. But for all who are in that race, I believe that every wise runner knows that if he's gonna do well, they must have a plan. Someone who wants to run well and run to win has to have a plan. I remember many years ago now, I was pastoring in Christiansburg, Virginia at that time, and I had been a pastor at that time, I believe, for about eight or nine years. And I remember there was a a group of people in our church, uh, some younger people, they were well in shape, they loved to run, and they came to me with an idea. They said, Pastor, God's put something on our our mind that we wanna ask you to pray about. And, And I said, sure, what is it? And they said, well, you know, Around here, Easter is a big time of year. There's all sorts of uh, Easter egg hunts and different activities for the community and for the kids. But there's an area, a community of people within our area that we are not reaching, that we believe we can reach for the Lord. And I said, well, who do you have in mind? They said, all the runners. We've got all kinds of runners and all kinds of joggers in our area. This would be a great way to reach them. And they had the idea of starting a 5K race on Easter weekend. We called it a resurrection run. And I remember, of course, in that conversation talking and we prayed about it for a while and they put together all the details and they invited the entire, everybody in the community that ran, they invited them out. And I began to notice over the next several weeks as I was looking at my church office, literally there were people that would come to our church parking lot, which was the starting line for that race. And they literally mapped out the entire course. Several of them days and weeks in advance, they would come out and they would run a little bit. The next time they'd come, they'd run a little further. And within a few weeks, they could run the entire course, which turned out to be extremely challenging. But I have to confess that in the midst of that community of people who were used to running, who had a plan and developed themselves well, in our church, we had a lot of good old boys, if you will, that remember the glory days of their high school. And oftentimes at the end of the church service, I hear them talking, oh yeah, I got this thing, I'm gonna win. I I ran a such and such when I was 15 years old. Problem is they weren't 15 years old anymore. And so the day came for the race. And as God is my witness, the first, I mean, at the very start at that sound, that first hundred yards, man, it seemed like everybody was neck and neck. But it did not take long to realize that the people who won the race that day were the people who had a plan who were disciplined and prepared. And all the good old boys, they were sucking wind at the back of the pack, okay? That's just how it was. If you're going to run well, 
you need to have a plan. God in Hebrews chapter 12 gives us, I believe, four key truths, four key actions to apply in our life if we are going to run well. Most of us begin that race. We begin that, that journey, if you will, with the hope and the ambition that we're going to do well, but without a plan to do so. God says, listen, I want you to learn these four things, these truths that you need to apply so that you can run well, even still in 2020. Number one, Christian, if you're going to run well, you must learn from the encouragers. Learn from the encouragers. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have some encouragers in your life? If you do, thank God for them. If you have some encouragers in your life today, thank God for them. If you don't, get involved in a community group. Get involved with a body of believers where you can do life together like Acts chapter 2 verse 42 describes and find those encouragers in your life today. But can I say to you this morning, whether you have them or not, God's word is filled with individual after individual, story upon story, situation upon situation that God gives to us, not only as an example, but also as an encouragement and how to live by faith even still today. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, therefore. Now I was taught early on years ago as a young preacher, anytime you see that word therefore, pause and ask, What's this there for? Because it's referring back to something in the immediate prior context. Hebrews chapter 11 is what the Bible's referring to, and it's referring to this great hall of faith. Here at Crossland, we've been studying this intensely over the past year as we've seen illustration after illustration of great heroes of the faith that God did extraordinary things through. And so in that context, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. This morning, if you were going to run well, it would behoove you to pause and stop and study the lives of men and women that God did extraordinary things in and through. You think about the Old Testament Hebrews or Hebrews chapter 11 and then the references back to the Old Testament. We think of the illustrations, for example, of, of Abraham and Sarah. We think of the illustrations of, of Noah. We think of the illustration of Moses. We think of the story of David and of Gideon and of Jephthah. We think of, uh, of course, Sarah. We think of Rahab, how God used her. The scripture are filled with numerous accounts of ordinary people who experienced extraordinary moves of God simply because they were willing to trust God. We see that all throughout Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says all these examples today witness to us. They literally are a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, some have this idea that these great cloud of witnesses, these individuals are witnesses in the sense that they are spectators watching us. But that's not the context when the scripture says here that they are a great cloud of witnesses. It literally means that their lives bear witness to us. Their lives, their stories, how God worked, how God moved, how God moved in spite of their flaws, they all bear witness to us the truth of who God is, the truth of what God can do, the truth of how God will provide and protect and perform works for his glory in and through our life of faith and obedience. It's amazing when you study the stories of the people in Hebrews chapter 11, we quickly learn all these incredible things that God did. But when you study the background of all these people, it's kind of unbelievable when you consider how flawed they really were. Sometimes we can read Hebrews 11, we can think, man, these incredible heroes, no wonder God used them. But please understand, they were sinful people just like you and I. 
They were people who messed up along the way, just like you and I. They were people who had flaws and weaknesses just like you and I. And yet when they came to points in their life where they repented of sin, when they came to points in their life where they trusted that God would in his grace and his mercy still work mightily through them, God did extraordinary things. I think of Abraham, for example. Abraham, God said, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. But Abraham at one point got impatient and instead of going to his wife, he slept with his wife's handmaid. She conceived and had another child. He took matters into his own hands. He completely failed in that moment. And yet when he turned to God, when he trusted God, God worked through him still in spite of his flaws, in spite of his failures, God worked in an extraordinary way. Think of Moses. Moses, that great leader that God used to stand before Pharaoh and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go. That same leader in a prior moment had gotten so bent out of shape and so angry in a moment of rage that he got so, he killed a man. And yet God in his grace and his mercy, when Moses would come back to God, believing that God could do the impossible through, through, a, through a wretch like him, God did extraordinary things. Case goes on, every single person that you read about in Hebrews chapter 11, they had significant flaws and failures. And yet when they came to an end of themselves to where they were willing to trust that the God of heaven would be merciful and gracious to work through them, when they walked in faith, God did extraordinary things. The Bible says it this way in Romans 15, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Do you have hope today? Do you have hope in the race that God has called you to? Do you have hope in the ministry that God's put before you and the mission that God's calling you to? Do you have hope? My encouragement this morning is if you don't, get back into God's word and let God's word speak to you as we see the account of how God worked through others so that we might have encouragement and hope to walk in faith today. When we study the lives of these individuals, we find over and over again that they were in places where the circumstances of their life seemed impossible and the consequences felt frightening and overwhelming, but they trusted God and they obeyed his word and God moved. That is true faith. Encouraging point for all of us to take this morning is this, is that God can work mightily in and through the life of any person. You, me, any person, in spite of the flaw or failure, in any person who will dare to trust his word and surrender to his will. If we're gonna run well, we need to learn from the encouragers. But there's a second truth this morning. If we're gonna run well, not only should we learn from the encouragers, but secondly, we must lay aside the hindrances. We must lay aside the hindrances. Now, I don't know about you, but the first point of the scripture here and the first point of the message this morning is one that blesses me. I like encouragers. Anybody with me? I, I, I like to be encouraged. I like for someone to share a word that's a blessing. But there are sometimes things in my life that I have to hear things that I don't want to hear. And that's what, the, what God is doing in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, now, I wanna remind you that we have a great cloud of witnesses that are there not only as an example, but as an encouragement to us and what it means to live by faith and to walk by faith so that we can run well. But please understand if you're gonna run well, there's a second truth and that is there's some things you gotta get rid of. Verse one, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. 2020, you know what he's saying? There's some things you got to get rid of. 
Now, he kind of lists this in two categories. First, he mentions the things that encumber you or encumber me, the things that encumber us. In the verb form, literally the word encumber means to weigh down, to weigh down. Now, there are many things in life that can weigh you down. They may not necessarily be bad things. Some of the things can even be good things, but they can be weights that will hinder us. As, as the, the author of Hebrews is giving this analogy of laying aside every encumbrance that, that entangles us, literally what's being envisioned here is a weight that an athlete would use in preparation for games. An athlete would use a weight as a means of maybe giving them strength or giving them endurance, but when the actual time came for competition, they would remove the weights so that they would be skilled and they would be fast, they would be effective. I remember when I was, I believe, I was thinking about this afternoon, uh, this morning, I believe it was in ninth grade when our school, high school, got a brand new basketball coach. And I was excited. I loved basketball besides running. I enjoyed basketball. And I remember we got this new coach and, and my parents were excited because he had a military background and my parents were excited because they thought maybe he would bring some discipline into the young men's life at our school. And so I remember showing up for the first basketball practice and we were out there on the court and the coach brings everybody together and he said, I want you to know for the first two weeks of practice, we're not even gonna use a basketball. And I thought, what is this guy doing and what planet did he come from, right? He said, the first two weeks of practice, we're gonna do nothing but work on endurance and work on running and work on having physical stamina. We're gonna work on physical strength and speed, but we're not even gonna use a basketball. And I was like, dude, you're, you're fired. You know, like you're done. He said, here's how we're gonna start. He said, across the gym on the, over there, on the first row, I've got a bunch of weights. I want you to run across the room. I want you to grab those weights. And they're the types of weights you could strap to your ankle. I was greatly blessed in that moment, you know. We did, we ran across the gym. I'd never even seen these types of weights. We put them around our ankle and he said, everything you do in practice today, you're doing with weights on your ankles. And we ran with weights. We ran with weights on our ankles at some form of practice for every day for two weeks. It was the worst thing I had ever experienced in my life. I thought my world was coming to an end. But in order, before that first game began, I'll never forget him telling us, we will not practice with these weights anymore throughout the season. I want you to take them off. And it was amazing. As soon as we got rid of those weights, as soon as they were off our ankles, it was amazing how fast we had become. It was amazing how much more strength we had, how much more endurance we had. It was amazing. And then as I understood his strategy, it paid off throughout that season and the seasons that he coached us. The point is simply this. When it came time for game time, when it was time to focus in, when we needed to be skilled, when we needed to be effective, when we needed to move forward, he said, listen, get rid of the weights. They're gonna be hindering you. You know, there are some things in our life today that may not be bad or sinful or immoral things. They can even be good things that can be a weight that hinders us from moving forward in our relationship with the Lord. There are things that God may call us to that will stretch us, they'll move us out of our comfort zone. There, there are gonna be things that challenge us that maybe we didn't even think we could possibly do. And in those moments, sometimes we allow good things to be weights to hinder us from the right things and the best things that God is calling us to. Jesus gave an illustration of that in Luke chapter 14. He was giving the story about a great banquet feast that was being offered. He was giving a picture of those who are being, people being invited to a relationship with him, to have fellowship with him, to embrace the most important thing in knowing Christ and having a relationship with him. And Jesus gave the illustration that there were three people invited and they declined the invitation. They didn't see the importance of the banquet. They didn't see the importance of fellowship with the master. And they made some excuses. 
They were legitimate excuses. They were good things, but they were not more important than the best thing. And so they began to give the illustration. The, the, the first guy said, hey, I'd love to come to the banquet, but I can't do it. I can't be there because I've taken a wife and I'm now married. Well, listen, marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a gift from God. It's a union established by God himself. But here's a reality. The very moment your marriage becomes more important than your relationship with the Lord, you're in a problem. There are gonna be challenges, there are gonna be issues. The very moment you allow a good thing to become more important than the right thing and the best thing, there are gonna be challenges. And so he made an excuse. I can't do it, I've gotten married. The second person came and said, oh, I, I can't be at the feast, I can't be at the banquet because I've, I've bought a piece of land. Well, hey, listen, possessions, resources, wealth, that's a blessing and a gift from God and should, and should be considered as such. But the very moment we allow our resources and our wealth and our possessions to be more important than our relationship with God, we've completely missed the point. But then a third person came, but I, I can't be at the banquet. I've I bought some oxen. I've got to go try them out. It's very important. I've got work. I've got responsibility. Please understand, work and responsibility are a good thing. It's a good thing for a man to work. But please understand, the very moment we allow our work and our responsibilities to be more important than our relationship with the Lord, something is off base. And what God is showing us here is that there are some things that can even be good things that can be a hindrance from running the race and doing the things that are most important in God's calling of our life. We must constantly be attentive to what we are pursuing to make sure we are pursuing first and foremost the Lord and his calling in our life. Commentator John Phillips said it this way, legitimate things, love of home and family, love of country, love of comfort and ease, contentment with a job, even security at work, etc. Good things can easily become weights to hold us back if not put in their proper place. We gotta lay aside the hindrances. First, the weights that encumber us, but secondly, the sin that entangles us. Notice what the scripture says. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. The reality is this morning is that the Bible says we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned against God. God is perfect and holy and we have all fallen short of that. And in our sinful fallen nature, we all have areas of weaknesses and area of vulnerability that we are prone to wander from the Lord. And the fact of the matter is, if we allow those sins to continually be present in our life, guess what we'll do? It will entangle us. It's literally the image of tripping. It's the idea of something in our life that will continually cause us to fall over and over again, something that will drag us around and be a stumbling block in our life. Think of that. I think of the illustration many years ago. I was, again, pastoring in Christiansburg, but we were at a church picnic. And we had all sorts of competitions in the midst of the fun and fellowship and food, but we had some competitions as well. And I remember that there was coming up a three-legged race. Anybody ever been in a three-legged race before? It's when you take someone's leg, you, you put it next to yours, you bind it together in some way, tie it together, and the goal is that the two of you have to walk and stride and you gotta get across the finish line. Well, this particular three-legged race was a father-son competition. And I remember looking at one of our young men, he was probably in junior high at the moment, his father was not uh, in the picture in that moment. And, and, and I could tell he wanted to participate, but his dad wasn't there. And so I just, without asking or anything, I just came up beside him and I said, hey, I need a partner, let's do this together. 
And so he put his leg in, I put mine in, somebody came and tied him up and, and we waited. Now, we had no strategy, all right? And I have an honest confession, that is that I'm a little bit competitive, okay? Just a little bit. And so we didn't talk, I didn't say, hey, we gotta walk and stride together. Let's pace our steps together. All I could see was the finish line and I wanted to get there as quickly as I could. And so as soon as they blew the whistle and started, I started going and I was about halfway through the course before I looked back and realized I was dragging him along the way, okay? <laughs> Finally, literally, I remember picking him up and saying, get your foot off the ground. So he picked his right foot off the ground and I just carried him all along the way. I couldn't remember if we won, but we had some friends this morning from Christiansburg in the early service, and they reminded me, Pastor, you won that race. I was like, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> the, the picture here is that. The picture here is this, that we have a sinful nature, and there are temptations, and there's weaknesses and struggles. Here's the fact of the matter. That sin that entangles us, we can't get free of that. It's like the big bully that's bigger than us, that's constantly pulling and constantly dragging and constantly entangling us, constantly pushing us down. You can't lose that by yourself. You can't will yourself to victory over sin. You can't will yourself to victory over that habit. You can't will yourself to victory over that, that addiction. The only way you can have victory is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the background to Hebrews chapter 12 when he says, let us lay aside and let us get free of the entanglements of sin. What he's describing is this. He's speaking directly to those who have already believed in Jesus. Because it's through Jesus and his death and what he did on the cross as he died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave. It's through his power that sin is rendered powerless in the life of a believer. It's in that context that he is in essence saying, believer, lay aside the sin that entangles you. That's why Paul would also say in Colossians chapter three, therefore Christian Believer, follower of Jesus, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, to impurity, to passion, to evil desires and to greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked. You used to be that way when you were living in them. But now you also, what does he command us to do? Put them all aside. Don't let them have a place in your life. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Put it away from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and you've now put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Or as a or sin, John Owen. Always, Christian, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If we're gonna run well, yes, we must learn from the encouragers. Yes, we must lay aside the hindrances, but there's a third point. If we're gonna run well, we've gotta labor with perseverance. Labor with perseverance. If you're still with me, would you say I am? Listen to what he says. He says a simple statement. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, this, this one little word in the text, I gotta be honest with you when I tell you personally, I don't like it because it is uncomfortable. I would love it if he just said, no, so let us run the race that's set before us. That's not what he said. He said, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Some translations say with patience. Oh, it's even harder to accept sometimes the race that is set before us. 
Paul is bringing us into focus the thing that causes so many of us to hate running. Many of us would enjoy running if it wasn't just so, so difficult to do, right? I, I mean, I, if you're physically able to, to get up and, and use your legs and to move, we could all run to some extent. I would imagine most of us could probably run a good 50 to 100 yards without it being the worst thing in the world, right? Now, now your time may not be good. My time I know would not be good, but I could give it my all for like 50 to 100 yards. Here's the problem. When Paul is described, when the author of Hebrews, I believe most likely is Paul, when he's describing this race, he's not describing a sprint where you start off and it's, you know, you just give it your all for a short burst. No, he's describing a marathon. He's describing something of, of long distance. He's describing something that's not just a short burst. It's something that's going to be taking a while. It's going to be taking some time. It's something that's going to take some, some twists and some turns, some curves, some up and downs, some smooth terrain and some tough terrain. So he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Any marathon runner, any long distance runner will tell you that when a race begins, they have already prepared their mind that there's gonna be an obstacle along the way. This is not just a smooth, give it your all for 100 meters and then you're good to go. No, they begin knowing that at some point along the way, their body's gonna get tired. At some point along the way, their feet are gonna begin to hurt. At some point along their way, literally their, their emotions are gonna make them feel alone because maybe they're ahead of the pack or they're behind the pack and it's gonna seem like there's no one else paying attention. There's gonna be some point along the way that even in their mind, they're gonna begin thinking, can I do it? Can I make it? Can I go the extra mile? In other words, as they begin that race, they know in advance there are gonna be some things that they have to labor through they have to work through. Even when their body is telling them otherwise, even when their mind is thinking a million different things, even when there are distractions around them, they know they gotta keep moving one foot in front of the other, one stride in front of the other, head up, eyes looking forward. Just take one step at a time, keep pressing forward, keep moving forward, keep going on, don't give up, don't give in, keep pressing towards the goal of that finish line. Spiritually speaking, I think it's wise for us to be reminded as Christians, just because you say yes to Jesus doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Doesn't mean that you won't ever get good news or you won't ever have bad things happen to you. It doesn't mean that the hardships and the, the diseases and the brokenness of life won't happen to you. No, the reality is when you begin that Christian race, we're reminded that literally the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. We all face trouble and difficulty. As a believer, we have the Lord Jesus Christ with us. We have the encouragement of the scriptures. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the assurance that comes from his presence in our life. But the simple reality is we still face hardship. And I believe what God is calling us to do when he says, listen, run with endurance where? The race that is set before you. So many believers live our life today so focused on the hurts and the hardships and the pains of the past that they're frankly not moving forward in the present. We live in such bondage to the things that, that we messed up in or maybe the things that somebody did to us. We, we focus on the hurts that we've experienced and we can't move forward with God today. And what God is saying, no, 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 no. Keep your head up. Keep your eyes looking forward. Take one step at a time. Keep trusting me. Keep moving forward to the race that I have before you. 
So the Apostle Paul had in mind in Philippians chapter three when he said these words, he said, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Oh, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm pressing on to what lies ahead, reaching forward to it. What did he conclude? He said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It will be hard at times. There will be moments when you feel like everything and everyone's against you. Anything done for the glory of God will receive opposition and attack and resistance, but you keep pressing on and you keep pressing forward and you keep serving and you keep moving forward for the glory of God and the good of his church. Labor with endurance and perseverance. But finally, I want you to see if you're gonna run well, there's a fourth point and I'll say it quickly, but it's important. In fact, it's the most important. If you're going to run well, Here's how you do it. You do it by looking to Jesus always, always, always. Looking to Jesus always. The single most important factor in running well is that we must keep our focus on Jesus. If our focus is behind us and we're looking backwards, we're gonna get off course. If our focus is on those around us, I'm assuring you at some point along the way, you're gonna get discouraged and you're gonna get disheartened. But what God is calling us to do as we run the race that God has called us to is he's calling us to keep our eyes fixed on him. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The idea here is literally that we are intently gazing upon Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're ignorant of the distractions. It doesn't mean that we're ignorant of the past hurts. No, but it means that our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me illustrate that in, some, in a lighthearted way if I can, but my hope is that it will paint the picture for us. Many of you know that my family and I were out of town last weekend so thankful for Brother Richard Seafried preaching in my absence, doing a wonderful job of encouraging and challenging God's people. So thankful for our team that's just a, God's working and moving in the team. And just so thankful for each of our leaders and the way that they served to allow me to be able to do what my family and I did. I was in New York last weekend preaching at Salem Church in Staten Island. Many of them send their greetings. They're very thankful for our church and our prayers, as well as our missions team that's been there for many, many years now. And uh, as my family and I were there, we went up, uh, got to New York the day after Christmas. And so having a few extra days there, we intentionally planned to take our family into Times Square. And so we were excited. My kids have never seen a city like New York before, ever. Much less, they've never seen anything like Times Square before. And so we made plans and preparations. And, and I knew, as in my mind at least, as we are approaching New York, first off, it's a big city, lots of things going on but it's also the weekend before New Year's. You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting there starting to think, are we crazy for doing this, you know? And so I told, I told all my kids, listen, like before, before we get off of the subway, we're gonna get on the ferry, we're gonna go across towards Manhattan, we're gonna get on the subway and we're gonna go up to the busiest street you've probably ever seen in your life. Here's my rule. We all say together. We all say together. Secondly, here's my other rule. If at any point I tell you to hold hands, I don't care if it's brother, sister, mom, little brother, whatever, you hold hands. Like this is the Kirkland No Child Left Behind Act. Like right now, <laughs> when I say hold hands, you hold hands. Because I, I knew there were gonna be a lot of people. We got off of that subway and we took a right heading up towards Times Square. And I am telling you, I have never in my life seen the amount of people we saw in Times Square. 
Not only were there people everywhere, there were barricades everywhere because they're preparing for the New Year's Eve celebrations and things. And so I wasn't planning on that. And so literally when you're in that area, we're a family of six and we're like holding on for dear life, trying to move in the, trying to move in the flow. I mean, we're walking like 13, 14 blocks, like waddling, you know, like a duck. I mean, everything is tight. And I remember telling, we were all heading to one specific location. Heather and I knew where we were going, but the kids didn't know. And I remember as I literally reached this place where it got tight, I told everybody, everybody hold hands right now. And so it just so happened to be, Lane reached up and I was beside her. Lane, my nine-year-old, our nine-year-old held my hand. And we began walking. Well, the area got tight. And so Lane began to walk in front of me, but I was still holding her hand. And as we reached the point where the people were pressing so hard against us, we quickly got separated. And remember, Lane is nine. And so walking all around us are adults, like big adults. And Lane reaches a point where she's never seen this many people and she literally could not see past the shoulder blades of anybody around her. She could no longer see big sister or big brother. She could no longer see mama up ahead. And she didn't know we were going. And literally as we were walking, I could feel her squeezing my hand tighter and tighter and tighter. And then finally, as we're walking, she stopped, which you don't normally do in a big flow like that. And she looked back at me and I could see the tears developing in her eyes. And so I pulled her aside in front of a store and I got down on her level. And I said, sweetie, are you okay? You know, just trying to hold it all in. I said, are you scared? She was. And I said, sweetie, I know you can't see mama up ahead and you can't see where we're going, but I know exactly where we're going and I can see mama perfectly clear. And then I looked at her and I said, honey, just keep looking at me. She held my hand. We started walking and the whole time we were walking, <laughs> I mean, perfect stride. That is somewhat the picture that God is bringing to us. Christian, you may not see the big picture. You don't know exactly where it is that God is taking you to. You can't see the next step in front of you and what might be around you may be nothing but mountains and giants and obstacles and difficulties. But God is saying, child, just hold my hand. Child, look to Jesus. Focus on Jesus because I know where I'm taking you. I know the plans and I'm gonna accomplish it for my glory and even for your good. Just look at me. That's what God is saying, fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus and his power. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's literally the very source of our faith. He's the one who guides us and directs us and leads us into all things. He focused on his passion. Notice what he did. He literally endured the cross. He didn't give up when it would have been easy to, when any one of us would have said it's too much. He endured, think of his passion for the glory of God and the good of all mankind as he gave his life for us. But finally, looking to Jesus, remembering his prize, knowing what happened because Jesus came and died and rose again. Listen to what the Bible said. For the joy set before him, verse two, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And where is he today? He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, a position of power, a position of authority. Why? Because Jesus alone is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has all power, all authority. The work of our sin, it has been paid for. It is finished. It is done. Jesus is Lord of all. 
It is that context that God is bringing us to when he's calling us to recognize because Jesus died, because he rose again, because he ascended to heaven today, he's seated at the right hand of the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. It's as if God is looking at us today pleading and saying, Keep moving forward in your walk and your relationship with me. Don't lose heart or get discouraged. Don't give in to the traps and the temptations of the enemy. Don't let good things become a substitute for me. Look to Jesus. Keep your focus fixed on him, for he's the Lord over all and worthy of you giving your all. His prize. But did you know that there's a prize that not only did Christ win in becoming Lord, so to speak, but the fact of the matter is this morning, when you and I run well, living our life by faith, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 9 that there's a prize to be won. What did he say in that verse that we read at the very beginning? Here's how he said it. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Literally, it was a wreath in those days. In our day in Olympic athletics, so to speak, it's a medal. But all those things are temporary. But we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, listen, I live my life and I run the race in such a way that I'm reminded it's not about the temporary wreath. It's not about the temporary honor. It's not about the temporary recognition. It's about living my life for eternity for the glory of God, for the things that matter in eternity. Can I say to you this morning, there's a lot of things in life that can distract us, try to convince us to live our life, to build our kingdom here. But can I remind us all this morning, it's not about the temporary here and now, it's about eternity. It's about the glory of God. I asked you this morning to consider the question and I wanna ask you again, are you running well? Are you running well? That's the question God's calling us to consider. And I ask you to answer it honestly before the Lord today. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.